how do you respond to change? Do you panic or are you chill? We all have a choice when it comes to change, not whether or not to change, but how we react to the inevitable changes that come our way. My guest this week is here to help us deal with change in more robust ways. This is the 5am miracle episode number 407, eight superpowers for thriving in constant change with April Rennie. Good morning, I am Jeff Sanders, and this is the podcast dedicated to dominating your day before breakfast. My guest today is one of the 50 leading female futurists in the world by Forbes and author of Flux, Eight Superpowers for Thriving in Constant Change. She suggests we indulge in a counterintuitive superpower, get lost. For most of us, the idea of getting lost leads to failure, but she argues that getting lost may actually be the fastest route to reaching your goal. And now here's my interview with April Rennie. Thank you. I'm delighted to be here. Let's just kick off today with a bit about you before we get to the book. So I want to give our audience a sense of kind of who you are and what you do. Let's just start right there first. Okay. So most people today know me as a futurist where I'm looking at where the future is heading and how you and your organization fits into it. What are the macro trends you need to be aware of? What are the things that, um, you know, both opportunities and challenges that relate to what you're doing, but also the broader world around you? Um, Previously, though, I have and to some degree, even today, I am a lawyer, I am an investor, um, I'm a certified yoga teacher, I was a hiking and biking guide. I have what a lot of people would call a portfolio career, so have done lots of different things. Um, that's why it's not one easy answer as to, as to what I do, um, but all of, the, all of these things kind of form a unique perspective and point of view on, on the world we live in today. Yeah, I like the, the diversity of the things you're involved in. I don't usually think of lawyers as also yogis and investors as hikers. <laughs> I don't know. It, it feels like it's juxtaposed as two different personalities going out at the same time. But I like the the combination there. That's that's fun. Yeah, well, it's interesting because I think as a child, I was that kid that was always, quote unquote, interested in too many things. <laughs> and it was like, ooh, focus or whatever. And then, and it's interesting, and maybe I'm going on a tangent early here, but um Society really tells us that we need to focus on what's straight ahead and pick your lane and swim in it. And what's fascinating is that's one narrative. That's one way of looking at one's professional development. Um, I would say that it took me in a way longer to weave together the threads of my professional fabric of life, if you will. But everything I've done informs everything else. And one thing that's clear, I never get bored. So Mm. it's... The law, I don't practice law anymore, but what I learned as a lawyer has served me so well, not just in my professional life, but in my personal life and how I think about um, integrity and trust and fiduciary duties and those sorts of things. Um, Yoga philosophy is all over my work in the business world, which is primarily with startups and established companies and governments and nonprofits. I talk about yoga philosophy or I bring yoga philosophy into my work all the time. I just don't necessarily call it yoga. So it's it's really – I love the way that there is, in a way, this blending of disciplines and lang- quote-unquote languages that I speak. But also, 
I think it's really interesting, this ability to hold a kind of paradox. A lot of people expect you to do one thing when, you, when you're asked what you do. To be able to actually hold yoga and the law or hiking and biking and strategic planning, you know, in the same breath, in the, in the same meeting, um, you actually are able to bring more insights to the table. You're, and certainly you're able to bring a unique perspective that they're not used to hearing. Certainly. Yeah, that's, I, I like the mix there. That, that's fun. Uh, mm-hmm. well, let's get to your new book uh, called Flux, The Eight Superpowers for Thriving and Constant Change. Um, I love this concept of dealing with change because I feel like this is obviously we're in a world now where that is just what everyone's dealing with. And so I want to go back a little bit on, on your personal side of when the pandemic hit, how you responded to it or how it affected you. Because everyone has their own story of kind of being hit in the face with like with a lot of change. So what was your story there? Yeah, it's a great question. And I'm glad I gave that kind of lead up as to like all the different things I've dabbled in and done in the past because they all came to bear, not just for the book and uh, well, both for the book and for how I've navigated the last, um, you know, 12 months, 18 months, however long feels like comfortable to to, to think about. But um, what's interesting is, so my book, Flux, and A World in Constant, Relentless Change, um, it's not actually a book about the pandemic. It's not a book about 2020. It's a book I've been working on since, well, I like to say that I've been writing it for the last three years, but it's really been the last three decades in the making. And if I go back into all those different chapters in my book of life that I was to some degree rattling off just now, um, all of them factor into the book. What's great, though, 2020 was such a validation of my ideas and an acceleration of how badly I needed to get this word out. So I'd been working on this book and thinking about not just how much change hits us on a daily basis, but also the increased pace of change, right? So the pace of change has never been as fast as it is today, and yet it is likely to never again be this slow. (laughs) And if you just pause for a moment and let that sink in, it's kind of exciting, and it's also kind of terrifying. And so I was looking at this, just terrifying in terms of how do we wrap our heads around this? If this is, candidly, the rest of our lives, are we really ready? And you can think about flux on the individual level, um, you know, change in your daily life, change in your family, changing your job, change in so many levels. You can think about organizational change, and I think many of us have dealt with that in the last year as well. And also, you can think about societal change. And here we're looking at major forces, like climate is probably the the biggest of all flux. Um, You can think about automation as another form of major, major change. So coming back to your question, um, actually, when when the pandemic really hit, I was overseas. I was on a business mm. trip. I was in Asia. I was in Europe. And that's a whole other story. I had thought hard about whether to take that trip. But I was on the road for six weeks. And so um, I was affected by the travel ban and had to scramble home and change my flight and all of that. And um, got back, which was a bit of a surreal adventure in and of itself. But that, you know, for me, I know 2020 was a really loaded year for everybody. I think we can all say that we found some silver linings and also experienced a lot of hardship in different ways. For me, um, the biggest silver lining of 2020 
was I finally couldn't travel. I had to stay put and I could create the time and space to write, to finally finish this book because it was underway. But I can now look back and say, gosh, the pace that I was living, not just the pace of change, but the pace I was living at before, I never would have finished this book otherwise. There was always something else I could do, always something some new place I could travel to, some new engagement I needed to go do. And 2020 really gave a pause to go deep, go inside, but also be disciplined to get this book done. And never, you know, I can say never have I felt more strongly about some of my own ideas and their ability to help others to really serve the world. And that's a good feeling. Yeah, it certainly is. I mean, it, it's. I think the 2020 provided a lot of opportunities for people, whether they realize it or not, to yeah, to, to go deep and, and to spend some time alone, possibly, uh, unless you were surrounded by your family 24-7, which happened to me as well. So yeah. from that perspective, I think that, you know, we can use the pandemic as a shining example, but a lot of people, mm-hmm. everyone most likely, was affected dramatically, and everyone kind of dealt with change in different ways. And I'm curious in this perspective of, we live in a world with constant change. Some of us deal with it well. Some of us don't. Why, generally speaking, is constant change so difficult for us to adjust to? Because I feel like maybe we're just we get stuck in ruts or we don't we don't like to change. But why do you think most people find it difficult uh, to change on a recurring basis? Yeah, such a great question. And I honestly could talk about this for days. So <laughs> let me, I will, I will try to keep it brief, but kind of tee us up for a lot of different ways we could jump into something deeper. Um, change is complicated. Change is messy. We have very, very complicated and complex relationships to it. So most people, like, we tend to love changes we opt into, right? A new adventure, a new job, a new relationship, right? We tend to really struggle with changes we can't control. So the kind of change that blindsides you on a Tuesday afternoon, it goes against your expectations, your assumptions, it disrupts your plans, right? At the same time, a change that's easy for you may be really difficult for me and vice versa. So there's no one way to think about change per se, but our relationships to it, they're grounded in everything from how we were raised and what we were taught to believe about the world to the assumptions and expectations that we in society have set for ourselves more recently. And so one of the most interesting um, ways, well, and just as sort of preface to the book, you know, people have been saying, oh, you wrote a book about change, or you wrote a book about change management. And with all due respect to change management, we can circle back to this if you'd like, I didn't write a book about how to manage change. I wrote a book about our relationships to change and how we get so twisted up like a pretzel in some ways about certain kinds of change that really unravel us. And on the one hand, some of this is hardwired into our just, it's just part of who we are as humans. Um, One way I love that it's put is 
humans love change. We hate being changed. Um, <laughs> you know, there are lots of different riffs we can take on this. Or we love the noun. We hate the verb. Um, you know, various. And I just, you know, anyone listening to this, I would ask you to kind of pause and think about what kinds of change do you love and what kinds of change do you hate? And particularly that latter category, the changes we hate or the changes we struggle with, that's what we're going to be dealing with more moving forward. I mean, I can say there's going to be more change just full stop, but that includes a lot more of the changes that we don't get to control, we don't get to opt into. We have to learn how to embrace them, even if they're unwelcomed, unwanted, not expected, you know, whatever. And so that, the process and what the book is about is kind of peeling back the layers of understanding where does your relationship to change come from? What shapes it? What colors it? What, if, what about it is really awesome? Because everybody has certain things they're really, really good at. And what about your relationship to change needs improvement? Because every single person on the planet <laughs> needs that too. And 2020 really underscored that for us. So I joke that, you know, 2020 was definitely a wake-up call for this. I think it was also a bit of a warm-up of the kind of um, what I would call mindset and superpowers, you know, that we're going to need moving forward. So I realize I'm not ex – I'm answering your question kind of with a, a set of questions, but that's what we're really starting to, to hone in on and get to know better because the answer is going to be different for everybody, but every single person can use some improvement, can, can get better at how they relate to change. What if in 2024, you got a little bit better every day? When you're learning a new language with my sponsor, Babbel, that's exactly what you're doing. And if Babbel can help you start speaking a new language in just three weeks, imagine what you could do in a full year. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Finally achieve your new language goal in 2024 with Babbel the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Babbel's convenient courses have helped me to learn real-life conversation skills in German, including ordering food and asking for directions without having to rely on language apps while traveling. Babbel has over 16 million subscriptions sold. Plus, all of Babbel's 14 award-winning language courses are backed by their 20-day money-back guarantee. Now, here's a special limited-time deal for my listeners. Right now, get 55% off your Babbel subscription, but only for my listeners at babbel.com slash 5am. Get 55% off at babbel.com slash 5am, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash 5am. Rules and restrictions may apply. Welcome to the Pants Cast, brought to you by Lululemon, a show about all things pants. My guest is Matt James, former NCAA player and Lululemon ABC pant enthusiast. Hi, great to be here. Matt, tell us all about those ABC pants. The comfort? They're like the pants I put on when I don't want to wear pants. Versatility? You could wear these pants to a wedding, but you could also wear these to a cookout. And what about style? They're like if casual and cool had a baby. Well, it's clear why you're an ABC enthusiast. Pleasure having you and your pants on the show. Thanks for having us. Find the shockingly comfortable ABC pants at lululemon.com.
mean, from that perspective, maybe I'll take this back to myself and ask you a question about mm-hmm. that. So I tend to view myself as a control freak, as a you know type A personality. I love to check boxes, get things done, but I also really do not like it when my schedule gets thrown off. And so I guess from my perspective, I would have to wonder like where that came from. I mean, you know, I mean, I'm a firstborn. Maybe I'm just like took on a leadership role as a kid or something. There's some you know mm-hmm. story there probably. I'm wondering a lot of my listeners feel, feel the same way that they are control freaks that they want their day to operate in a certain way. Like, how do we make a pivot from that to one where when change occurs, we can just kind of roll the punches and be a little bit more even keel? Because I don't view myself as someone who's that even keel most of the time, but I'd like to be. And I feel like that would be helpful. So Yeah. And I see a lot of myself in what you just said. So you can (laughs) see why I was like, I needed help, but I could tell that others, like, this was a problem. And you've headed straight into one or two of the superpowers, which I want to hold off on right now simply because I want to give a little bit more context and framing. But what I want to go back to is when you said, you know, there's a story there. There's a narrative. There is indeed, and this is what I talk about and we explore quite a bit in the book. It's what I call our script. Every person on the planet has a script, And it's not that one is better or worse, like we all have them, and they all are conditioned by our life experience. And your script describes, it's it's sort of the narratives, the norms, the stories that we're told and that we come to believe about the world we expect to live in. This relates also to our relationship to change and our relationship, what I love is you nailed it, to control. Because again, change you can opt into, and I've had this conversation of flavors of this kind of conversation in a lot of different contexts where what's fascinating is people describe all kinds of different changes that they're, um, that they're good at and bad at. And, you know, the, the changes themselves, the examples are all over the map. But the unifying factor is whether they get to opt in, whether they have a choice about this change. And... So a lot of what we're talking about is what I like to call more than control, it's agency. Do you have the ability to affect this change happening in the first place? And do you have an ability to affect the outcome? And, you know, in a lot of cases, the first answer is no, (laughs) you, you don't. But it's all about, so how do you relate to it? Because you always have the ability not to control or predict or single-handedly determine the outcome, but you always have an ability to decide whether and how to contribute to an outcome you'd like to see. Doesn't guarantee that it'll happen, but it does guarantee that you have some say. But going back to what you were talking about, just this like, I want to control, it's fascinating. And there, there are a few different layers here, again, any of which we could go into much deeper, but I'll try to sort of summarize. Humans, we like, we like to control things. We, we like to know what's going to happen. Um, to some degree, that's a part of survival. It's a kind of very mm. basic survival mechanism of like, I need to know enough. Otherwise, I don't know if I'm going to make a decision that could kill me or, or injure me or harm something, right? If we go really back into human history as well. Um, But what we have today is um, a bit of a mess. (laughs) And what I mean by that is that 
we have a script that is conditioned by how we're raised and where and with whom and, to your point, your birth order, but also things like, did you come from an immigrant family in which change and perhaps, you know, having to move around, having to adapt to new circumstances, all of that was more of the norm? Or has your family been in the same town for generations? Um, where, where, on the, where in the world did you grow up? Um, I've, my entire career has been global, and so I've spent a lot of time in different cultures. And what I love is that every single culture on the planet struggles with change, but has also developed different ways of talking about it, um, reacting to it, believing about it, concepts, rituals, traditions, all of this. So there's just there's this incredible diversity of how we've learned to grapple with change. So society, though, gives us a script. Again, when we're growing up, what are you expected? What do we expect you to do about change? Do we tell you that you can control it? Because society bears some responsibility. I mean, if we're fed the narrative that we can control the future by others growing up, we tend to believe that we can. But then we come, you know, there's this clash with reality, which is, no, we can't. <laughs> so <laughs> so some of what we're doing is kind of unpacking the what I call, there's a sort of old script and new script. And the old script, in large part, is a world that assumes humans can control everything. And as I like to say, that old script is so outdated. It's cracking and breaking. But we don't yet have a fully formed new script, as I like to call it, a new script that's fit for a world in flux, that actually has a mindset that looks at change and control in quite a different way. So we've got this societal piece that where there's a major, major disconnect between what we're taught to believe how the world works, and in my experience and that of many others, I know particularly the younger you go, the more you find this, where there's a disconnect between what society tells us how the world is supposed to work and then how you actually see the world playing out. The other piece that I want to bring up here, though, and I suspect it'll resonate with at least some of your listeners, um, is the role of technology. So I spend, you know, a lot of time in the world of technology, and I am by no means, I am not anti-tech. I see technology can be a huge boost to what we do and how we do it. Um, but the more devices we have in our pocket, the more we come to believe that technology is our solution or our way out, the more we actually convince ourselves that we can control outcomes. We just need to know, you know, we just need that app. We just need that to get back on our screens and everything will be okay. And the reality is that, candidly, nothing could be further from the truth. Technology is a means toward, to an end. It's not an end in and of itself. And when we believe that technology will solve all of our problems, we kind of delude ourselves into believing we can control things that fundamentally no piece of technology and no single human being can. So there's a bit of a reconciliation that's happening on a few different levels. I think we're really early into it. But last year, this, the last 18 months, have, have given us a kind of jolt of what that can feel like. Yeah, I think it's one of those where when I think about change, and I think about myself and kind of how I navigate that. I think a lot of what you just said, this idea that you know society kind of gives us a, a, a script, I feel like I'm constantly fighting society's version of what I should be doing. <laughs> I mean, as a control freak, I think it also plays into why I do what I do. I mean, I work for myself, not for an employer, in part because I want to control my day. Like, I've, I've made a lot of intentional moves over time because I've seen, like, well, here's change I don't like, so I'm going to go do something different and make a make a move. 
some of those changes have been good for me. Some of them have not, and I'm still fighting through those. But I feel like there is a, yeah, there's a bigger kind of story at play of people fighting through this battle between what they want and what the rest of the world is doing. And I guess my question would be, like, how do we reconcile those those challenges there? Like, we feel like we need to, to always be fighting upstream, but that seems like the wrong direction to go. I love that you bring this up, Jeff. This is just fabulous because what you've just described for yourself, in my experience, and again, this is sort of 25 plus years talking to people and researching and my own, you know, my own relationships and all this, everybody has their own version of that. And again, they're they're different. I was talking to somebody recently and they were like, you know, I'm really good at those changes like disrupting my life. Or I've never, I've never seen myself as having to have one straight career path. You know, I'm, I'm good with the big picture changes in society. But he was like, the, one of the things I really struggle with, and I, like, I struggle with it so much it concerns me. He's like, if I go to an, a restaurant and I order something on the menu and they say they don't have it. <laughs> He's like, so when you think about our control freak, you know, wanting to control everything. And what he said, though, was that when something like that happens, it unravels him to a degree that he knows is not normal. And hmm. wait a minute. Whoa. What about that? Now, meanwhile, I've met a lot of people who are pretty good rolling with the day-to-day punches. And if something's not on the menu, it, they're not fussed whatsoever. But they lose their job. And part of their, their professional identity just goes off a cliff and they don't know how to get themselves back. And, you know, that's another, you know, it, again, one is not better or worse, but this sense of where does your urge to control, where does it manifest most in ways that tend to get you in trouble, right? And so the first, you know, if we, if we kind of back up and just say, where do we start with all of this? I mean, the... The baseline where I always like to send people is to just simply start getting to know your relationship to change. And it's as easy sometimes it's like drawing a T-chart on a, on a piece of paper, right? A line down the middle, a line across the top. In the left column, put, the, uh, put a plus. In the right column, put a minus. On the left column, put all of the changes you love. On the right one, put all of the changes you struggle with. Most people have never even done that exercise, right? Mm. But it's revealing because then you start – and then start looking at each of those lists, the chance, chances are that the changes are quite different one from the other, but there's going to be a commonality in the ones you like and the ones you don't like. Then in the ones you don't like, start thinking about how did you, how did you typically react when that happened? What was your tendency to do? And then you start going, where might that have come from? <laughs> <laughs> and you know, you're peeling back the layers of this onion of your own relationship to change, but pretty soon you get pretty clear on where you were taught something, where where this showed up, when and how were you taught to believe that X, Y, or Z, so to speak, you know, was the truth or was what you aspired to. Because a lot of times, too, what, what I continue to find is that, and I will include myself in this for much of my life, right? The expectations I was trying to meet weren't ones I had set for myself, they were ones that society had set for me, and I just assumed it was my job to go fulfill them. And, you know, I love that this, this crowd is a group of high achievers, overachievers. Um, you know, I believe that there is a kind of interesting phenomenon or connection dynamic, I don't know what we want to call it, between, you know, high achievers. It's great 
to be a high, high achiever. Who are you achieving for? Where did that drive come from? Um, it's fantastic, typically, to have that kind of drive. But a lot of times we realize that we're living lives or we're living out a script that we did not author. And so part of what this whole flux mindset and this, you know, the end goal of flux is to be able to write a script, a new script that you author that is fit for a world in flux. But in order to do that, it does require getting much clearer on your relationship to change. And what I like to call it is a kind of what makes you, you, even when everything else changes. Hmm. Right there. And so I love even the description you've given me of you because you're very clear in some on some things. And yet there's still this kind of like, but, you know, hang on, I'm still, what have I been told that isn't quite right? And so that's part of your quest. It is. I, and I like this, I mean, just from that, the same nature of maybe a control freak, I like the perspective that, I can write a new script for myself that's more adaptable. I mean, one of the things that, you know, I've seen for myself, like I value, you know, self-improvement and, and really looking deeper into my own awareness of who I am and who I'm becoming. But I want to be able to know going forward, like when things change, because I know they will, that I'll be able to handle those things when they when they come down the pike. And so from that perspective, like, is there a skill set that we are trying to build so that when the change occurs, we handle it, you know, with grace or we handle it with ease? Because I feel like that for me is where I can already predict myself behaving wrong in the future. And I'm wanting to know, like, how do I prepare now for when that change comes? Yes, absolutely. Super question. And we're heading straight towards the eight flux superpowers. So the eight superpowers are really the skills, the practices, the disciplines, the the how to navigate this world in flux. So just as a quick recap, you know, I have this thing called, I call it the theory of flux. I don't want to frighten anybody. It's not some big academic heavy-handed theory. It's just sort of my way of describing what's going on. And that, you know, the first step in manifesting all of this is to open a flux mindset. That basically means acknowledge that your relationship to change can improve, that it could use some help. Okay, great. I can sort of get my head around that. Then what do I do? Like, where do I start? <laughs> you need to take that flux mindset, apply it, and develop the eight flux superpowers. So each of these are a chapter in my book. Um, what I love is that each of them stands on its own. Like you could read, you could read each chapter on its own. You could read the book backwards. I'm not kidding, um, and still get the same value because each one is useful as it relates to your relationship to change. But they do enhance one another. So the stronger you get at one, the easier you are to see where the second one heads and so forth. And um, so I can. And maybe I'll just ask, I, I can easily, you know, just sort of go through the list of them, just list them, and then we can pick a couple if you'd like to, to dive into. Would yes, that work? let's do that. Great. Okay. So the eight flux superpowers, just in, in quick order. The first one is run slower. And that says that to thrive in a fast-paced world, you need to slow your own pace. And um, I should actually pause right here, too, and say all eight of these are counterintuitive in some way. They're sometimes called contrarian. I want, as you're listening, I would like each of you to pay attention to when any one of these makes you uncomfortable or it, you, you, you feel like, wait, that's not what I've been told. 
because chances are it's going to happen. That's an atten- That's a signal to pay attention. There, there's something going on with your relationship to change. So number one is run slower. Number two is see what's invisible. And that says that, you know, when life feels blurry or the future is uncertain, shift your focus from what's visible right in front of you to what's invisible. So on the edges, on the periphery, what you might not be seeing. The third superpower is get lost. So this says that in the landscape of change, getting lost is how you find your way. And again, I'm guessing that some people are thinking, wait, I thought that getting lost was a failure. It meant I've done something (laughs) wrong. And what I'm saying is each and every one of these superpowers, what we're often told is a liability or a deficit or something that's wrong with you. In a world in flux, in a world in constant change, it's actually a superpower. So we're flipping the script. We're kind of flipping a switch too and re reassessing, wait a minute, what's a strength and what's a weakness? Because a lot of things, and back to your, this is just a, a minor, a small tangent, the things we think about, even our ability to control in a world in, that we believe we can control and predict and command and so forth, things that are strengths, things that are weaknesses, that all changes when we're in a world that we can't control and that we can accept we can't control it. And that's more of the world that we're living in today. Mm. So back to the, um, I'll, I'll get through the others quickly. Um, but back to the other superpowers. The fourth one is start with trust. So this says that when trust seems broken, assume good intent. And uh, we could easily have spent the entire time on that one superpower because trust is just a massive, massive issue in so many ways today. Number five is to know you're enough. This, I have a funny feeling, will also be of interest to, to listeners. This is all about our relationship to more, 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 more versus knowing you're enough. And the best way that I can put this is that when you're constantly searching for more, and that could be more income, more power, more notoriety, more likes, more friends, more followers, whatever. When you are looking or searching or always after more, you will never find enough. It's a Mm. vicious cycle. But when you know you're enough, you will immediately begin to see abundance. So we can come back to that. Number six is create your portfolio career. This is very much about the future of work. And um, this one says that for success and satisfaction in a world in flux, treat your career as a portfolio to curate rather than a path to pursue. And um, Jeff, I know that you already are well on your way to a portfolio career, so (laughs) happy to dig into that a bit more. Um, The seventh superpower is to be all the more human. This is about our relationship to technology, so some of what we were talking about earlier. And it says that in a world with more robots, (laughs) your key to thrive is to be all the more human and to use your humanity to help others. And the last but not least superpower relating directly to our relationship to control is let go of the future. And that says that learning how to let go of the future enables a better future to emerge. Now, just to note, this is the opposite of giving up. I don't mean throw in the white towel. I don't mean failure. I don't mean any of that when I say let go. This is all about what we can and can't control and how we unleash our best selves in the face of that. 
fast forward to the end of 2024 and think about your goals. What can you do right now to give yourself the best chance of succeeding? If you want to learn a new language, you absolutely should check out my sponsor, Babbel. Finally achieve your new language goal in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Babbel has over 16 million subscriptions sold, and studies from Yale, Michigan State University, and others continue to prove Babbel is better. One study found that using Babbel for 15 hours is equivalent to a full semester at college. Babbel's convenient courses have helped me to learn real-life conversation skills in German, including ordering food and asking for directions, without having to rely on language apps while traveling. Now, here's a special limited-time deal for my listeners. Right now, get 55% off your Babbel subscription, but only for my listeners at babbel.com slash 5am. Get 55% off at babbel.com slash 5am, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash 5am. Rules and restrictions may apply. Excellent. These are these are amazing. I have so many questions, but we don't have time for all of them. Yeah. So I want to pick a few of these to dig <laughs> sure. into. Um, the first, I want to go to number three with getting lost, because I feel like that's mm-hmm. one where... It's, it seems very counterintuitive, and which is why I like it. And I'm curious as to what you mean in terms of what getting lost actually refers to. Sure. So it can show up in a, in a few different ways. And depending on who I'm talking to, I might set the stage in you know a different way. But think about it in this regard in terms of everything from when society tells us to focus on what's straight ahead, like follow the path. Okay, that's one example. What Another one is stay inside your comfort zone. Stay with what's familiar. These are all things and, you know, we're, it's not that we're inculcated with these things, but we're often taught that getting lost does mean failure. You've screwed up. You've lost your way. You don't know how to find where you're going. And again, literally or figuratively. This can be on an actual adventure or this can be, you know, the adventure of your entire life. What getting lost is saying is that, again, when you can predict where the road is heading, good. You know, you're quite lucky to be able to stay on that path. But in a world in flux, no one. Actually, and I hope, I want this to sound, the book itself is actually very uplifting. So I don't want this particular piece to sound like a downer, (laughs) although it might. It is a very uplifting message because if we're able to wrap our arms and heads and hearts around these flux superpowers, the future looks really bright, even with seismic change. But back to um, getting lost, think about when you've had your best ideas, when you've been most innovative, most creative. Has it been when you've been following what everyone else is doing and staying on the path? Or has it been when you've actually blazed your own trail? Think about when you've grown the most. Has it been when you've stayed inside your comfort zone or when you've had to stretch really far beyond it? And whether that's by choice or because life asked you to rise to the occasion. And yet in all of those cases, we would determine that, you know, going off the beaten path, blazing your own trail. These are all also versions of getting lost because you don't know 
how it's going to go. You don't know how things are going to end. And it requires being brave and courageous and all of that. But society, again, wants us to stick to this script of stick to the straight and narrow, go where you're supposed to go, because that's where success is to be found. So there are lots of different ways we can kind of massage this and unpack it, but I have met so many people, and it's interesting because I think a lot of times we think about getting lost when we're traveling, and in that context, I'll say, when have you actually had the most fun on your trips? When you actually worked (laughs) your way through the itinerary or when you got totally lost and found yourself, you know, having an unexpected, like a true adventure, meeting new people, trying new things. It's usually those places you stumble onto because you're lost that bring the best memories. But even so, and I do a lot of work in like travel and tourism and stuff as well. And people are like, oh, so if we couldn't travel this last year, did we just not get as lost as much? And I'm like, no, 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 no. We've been very, I think collectively, we've been very lost in ourselves this last year. This real sense of uprootedness and disorientation. And if you think about getting lost as not having a compass or not having roots or not being oriented to what we're supposed to be heading towards or doing or leaning into, that there are a lot of different ways we get lost within ourselves and in our relationships with others and so on and so forth. So I share, I kind of cast that net really wide intentionally Because for each person, they may find themselves feeling lost in a different way. Yeah, I feel like there's some examples in my life where I get lost and I'm overwhelmed by it. And then others where I get lost and I love it. And I don't know what the paradox is in myself with that. But like, I mean, to that example of travel, it's like, you know, I've been mountain climbing and been lost on a mountain and it's been fun. And then likewise, I've had other examples where I get lost in business and it scares me to death. And I just I don't know what about me tells those different stories. But I think it's interesting to know that getting lost usually does have positive outcomes in the end. But my experience through that kind of chaos is is very different. Yes. And I think in all cases, and I'm not sure this is unique to Flux, but there is always that element of, I guess what I might call moderation, hmm. <laughs> where getting lost, there's a point at which, and even over the last year, where some people are like, listen, I can deal with some change. But change upon change upon change upon change upon change like it like your brain starts to unravel and i do know that even you know if you're getting lost and but it's still daylight <laughs> you 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 feel a little better about <laughs> i don't know where i'm heading if you get lost and it's an hour before sunset i've been in both of those situations i too i'm like i'm a little more anxious i might so you kind of are learning to gauge where you are on that spectrum but developing this superpower and you know what i love about each of these superpowers these are not kind of one-and-done quick fixes. This is not something that you master in a week and you're set for life. These are practices. So back to what you were saying, Jeff, of like noticing how something went in a business meeting and taking time to reflect on it and then say, what part of this change was so challenging for me? And then brushing up on your superpowers kind of, and the book is very interactive. It has lots of, you know, Um, questions and exercises and call-out boxes where you're strengthening this particular superpower. And then, you know, the next time that you have a meeting that, that has, um, you know, a similar sense of being lost, you can, you can apply these things, but it's not as though, um, it's not as though you're going to get a direct download and then you're set. It's a practice. So what I find and what I love is that 
very few people at the end of the day have given that much thought to their complex and often messy relationship to change. Once we begin doing that, we already are making progress towards improvement because back to something that has come up a little bit earlier, so much of what we're talking about here is self-awareness, but understanding that your relationship to change comes from the inside out. And what we're really good at doing as humans is focusing on what's on the outside. What am I going to do in the world? What am I going to achieve? What am I going to, like, what's the thing that's out there? But we don't necessarily spend time thinking about the inner drivers, the inner relationships, the inner awareness that actually shapes every single thing that we do in the outside world. Hmm. There's a lot, lot to dig into there. But I, before we lose all the time today, I want to get to number five, because this is mm-hmm. one that really spoke to me, this idea of knowing an, you're enough, wanting to do more, and more is just never the answer. I feel like that that really mm-hmm. speaks to me, because I feel like that's mm-hmm. in many ways my life story. I know our listeners feel very similarly that they're striving for more. So mm-hmm. which part of this are we kind of on the wrong path for? Because I feel like there's a, a good answer here that's we're probably not striving for. Yeah. And, you know, I also want to be clear here, more, it's not, it's not better, it's not worse. And I'm not saying that we never want more. We have developed, I think, a kind of obsession with more. We're told more is better. More, 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 more. And again, on every metric. And so we're 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 chasing this like constant ever more. And yet, where did that come from? If you look within out throughout human history, this obsession with more is a relatively recent phenomenon. That if you go back, and I should also add, here we're talking about everything from you know, individually. Um, you want more income, you want more cars, you want more houses, you want more stuff, you want whatever. Um, organizationally, it must be growth at all costs. And the notion of sustaining an organization has to include growth. Now, I get you want to keep organizations um, thriving, but thriving does not necessarily mean hockey stick. Actually, hockey sticks are quite dangerous when you look at it from a growth perspective. Ultimately, anything with a hockey stick um, growth path will likely collapse hmm. at some point. Um, but then societally, just how, you know, we're not living sustainably on this planet because we're on this quest for more. We are literally burning ourselves out and burning the planet up in this quest for more. But what's interesting, so just briefly, there's a psychology of more. What does our brain do around this? And there's also a kind of economics of more because we've monetized so much of how we think about more. And yet, if you think about enough. What is enough? Enough is enough to thrive. It's not too much. It's not too little. And enough is a kind of place of contentedness. Enough is you, you, you have what you need. Anything more than enough is actually considered excess. Now, having less than enough is not healthy either. So there's always a bit of a dynamic at play here. Did you grow up with privilege or lack of privilege? Did you grow up with it's interesting too. People who are on a quest for more, more, more money, it's fascinating. There's also this quest of, well, wait, what about enough? So financial security, what about emotional security? Do you have enough of that? Because often we chase the stuff and the material possessions, 
but we're actually running a deficit on some of the emotional and relationship stuff. So all of this factors into an up. Um, but this, this obsession with more, what really concerns me is the more we chase more, the more miserable for the most part it becomes. It's once, because think about it for you, for anybody, whatever your more is right now, imagine that you reach it, whatever that more goal is. What happens when you reach that goal? You want more. Hmm. You're, you're constantly after more. You're on this, you're in a vicious cycle that actually won't end. And that has, um, you know, a psychological toll, a financial toll oftentimes. Um, there are always compromises we're making in our quest to more. But enough, and here's where I go into lots of different cultures in the book and different concepts of how do people see enough. It's fascinating. Just the clear, direct linkage between enough and contentedness. Enough and a sense of peace. Enough and just an ease with which not only are you able to live your life, but which, with which you can relate to yourself. And yet, so long as we're talking and focused always on more, we're actually not stopping to realize the benefits of enough. There's so much here that I think just speaks to, yeah, finding a balance. I find that mm -hmm. we, your question earlier about, you know, imagine if you reach the goal you're after that you want more. Like I was, as soon as you asked that question, I was thinking of recently, like I finished a big project that I've been working on for months. And the second it was over, I felt the sense of depression that was yeah. like I had lost that, that thing I was working for. And I think it's interesting that we have this, you know, desire to achieve, desire to want more, desire to push and challenge ourselves, which is healthy. But yeah, you're right to the idea that like there's something lacking in that drive that is not fulfilling. That's not doesn't lead to, you know, contentedness. It leads to me feeling like I missed the boat somehow in all of this work, which is frustrating of itself. But so yeah. with that in mind, how do we get to a place where we can, I don't know, feel at peace with what we have? Yeah, I love that. So great, great, great points. And I want to be really clear. I am not saying don't strive. I'm not saying don't have dreams, don't work hard, don't go after things, right? It is, though, this sense of have you calibrated your relationship to more versus enough? And does it? You know, it's it's just fascinating because it gets us into this cycle that we can't seem to get out of. And there are clear connections here also with things like presence can you be present in what you're doing? And then when you finish that project, you celebrate that it's done and you move on. But you're not necessarily looking for more. You're actually just really sad. There is this sense of satisfaction and sufficiency and, and so forth. So um, the book goes into a bunch of different ways that we can think about more versus enough and um, exercises you can go through and, and whatnot. It's fascinating, though, because it does um, – it starts to dig into also our relationship with um, generosity, for example. So one thing I always like to ask people is, like, when you give somebody a gift, you're effectively taking some of your more and giving it away so that on one hand, you know, you would have less. Yet gifting to other people – is often seen as abundance. So how do you translate, you know, is when when you give somebody a gift, is that loss or gain for you? Most people are like, oh, that's total gain. Oh, interesting. So 
our generosity, the more generous we are, the more that we actually give away, often the better we feel. Mm. That's an, that's a kind of subtraction. There's another piece in this around subtracting versus adding. And here I know with emphasis on productivity and, and whatnot that um, we're always focused on adding things to our calendar, doing more, you know, do more, 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 more. And the more meetings we have, the more productive we are. And I'm, I'm a clear, um, I will show my colors. I am a, a clear skeptic of, of that approach. <laughs> I do not believe that more meetings means more productive means better. Um, I always want to ask people, you know, what are you being, for what and for whom are you being productive? Like pro productivity is just a, it's a concept. We can be productive for awesome measures and ends. We can be also productive for really, you know, crappy, pointless measures and ends. What are you being productive for? And how do you measure more within that? So this whole notion of um, subtract rather than add things to your schedule um, what happens when you actually get very disciplined? And this relates to saying no, this relates to, you know, culling and honing your to-do lists. I mean, lots of other themes that I know you've discussed before. But more, 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 more on one metric, we actually need to, the way you get to enough is to learn how to subtract what doesn't really matter. It's a way, and again, we can use this with regards to your bank account or to your calendar. doesn't really um make a difference. But there are lots of ways we're just kind of, we're trying to rebalance. And I think another theme that keeps coming up is this sense of harmony, this sense of balance that like too much is way, is more than enough. And it's not, it's not healthy and it's not what you need. But too little is also not healthy and not going to help you be your best. So how do we recalibrate and ratchet back our quest for more to land it enough. And there are lots of different ways. I, I think about generosity. I think about subtraction. You know, there are different ways that we can, that we can um, get to know this superpower and, and ways that we can bring it into our own lives. Yeah, I think the idea of subtraction speaks really strongly to me because I know that, you know, for example, if I have a meeting that's canceled, I feel great about that because I know I have my time back. And it's, I, I think there's things like that. If I give things away. If I cancel things, if I delete things, that feeling of like letting go is so freeing for me. And yeah, it's the idea of subtraction is more. I, I love that idea. Um, April, there is so much here we could get into. Obviously, the book is going to have more of these answers than our conversation. So I want our listeners to really dig into this because there's so much here to learn from. Where can they learn more from you? Where can they get a copy of the book? And how can they really dig in? Thank you so much. I know I will say we didn't even talk about let go of the future, and that is all about control. So okay. <laughs> there's lots of ones we, lots I, of but ones I, to I totally get it. Um, thank you for asking. So the book is out on all major retailers, so Amazon and bookshop.org and anywhere you buy books, you can find the book. Um, the book website where you can order the book as well as learn more about it is fluxmindset.com. And I have more information about the superpowers and the mindset and all that kind of stuff um, on the website. And it is available in hard copy, in ebook, in audiobook. Um, I got to narrate the audiobook. So if you've enjoyed this conversation, you can hear more of me. <laughs> um, yeah. And I'm, I'm, my name is super easy. I, I Google really well. So I'm easy <laughs> to find in terms of, um, you know, please reach out, be in touch. I would love to hear from you. Uh, but go to fluxmindset.com and start there. And I wish you a, a wonderful journey to flux. 
Excellent. I love that. There's you know, so much discussed today that I think is just going to be so helpful for all of us because we're all going through a lot of change. And I think having more tools in our toolbox to help with that is going to be you know wonderfully accepted by everybody. So April, thanks a lot for this. I really, really appreciate it a lot. My pleasure, Jeff. Thanks for having me. And for that action step this week, get lost. Take April's advice and let yourself get lost in the process of change, evolution, and growth. You know, staying too rigid and trying to control everything can definitely backfire. Be willing to embrace flexibility and see where it takes you. Also, get a copy of her book, Flux. JeffSanders.com slash 407 is the place to go to get the episode notes. Also, go to 5AMMiracle.com to join the 5AM Club to get free email updates about the show and some free gifts. That's all I've got for you here on the 5AM Miracle Podcast this week. Until next time, you have the power to change your life, and the fun begins bright and early. Hey, it's Jeff Sanders, and I'm here to tell you about Greg McEwen and his amazing show, The Greg McEwen Podcast, part of the Yap Media Network. Want to achieve more by doing less, all while avoiding burnout? You can design a life that really matters with Greg McEwen, author of New York Times bestsellers, Effortless and Essentialism. His mission is to help you advocate and negotiate your way to remarkable results. Every Tuesday, Greg discusses one key topic he finds interesting and valuable through the lens of the essentialist. Every Thursday, he invites thought leaders, entrepreneurs, celebrities, and people like you for inspired weekly conversations focused on learning how to do what matters first and do less but better. His content will stir your thoughts and spark inspiration and action. And his British accents, well, that's just the cherry on top. Subscribe to the Greg McEwen podcast today on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast platform.